Welcome to the Vincennes First Church of God Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Huebner. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so thankful that you've decided to tune in and listen to us today. We hope that through this message and the Word of God, you will find not only that you are challenged, but that you are encouraged. Here at Vincent's First Church, we believe that it's our job to create kingdom culture. And we hope that you'll join us Sundays at 10 o'clock. We love you and enjoy. This morning we are finishing the series called Jonah. And in this series, we've just been trying to look beyond the big fish to ask, what is God trying to teach Jonah and what can we take away from it? When I graduated high school, my parents decided to, it was, it was such, I don't know that my dad thought I was going to graduate. And so it was kind of a, a big deal. And he's like, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll take you anywhere you want to go. We're going we're gonna to have a grad trip. You can bring a couple friends. And so uh, I wanted to go to Colorado. Uh, we, I'd kind of grown up going to Colorado. We had a place there within the family that was like ancient, years old. And uh, we went and we had fun. And on our way there, it's, it's a difficult place to get to. So you have to fly into either Denver or Colorado Springs. And then it's quite a bit of a drive. And on the drive there, we stopped at this restaurant. And one of my friends that was with me, um, I decided I was going to try to embarrass the living daylights out of him. So I pretended like I was going to the bathroom. And I snuck by our waiter and I said, hey, I just want you to know it's Trevor's birthday. It was not Trevor's birthday. And I'm just, I'm just looking for like this dude to sing a song and embarrass my friend. It's going to be a great day. And this, this guy, the waiter, he turns to me and he says, he says, here at this restaurant for birthdays, we do pie in the face. <laughs> what? He says, is that Okay. Listen, sir, it's more than okay. Let's do this. So they come and they sing. And this dude, um, he's holding a pie in, in the back of his hand. And as soon as they're done singing, wham! Right in the face. And it was glorious. It was fantastic. You know, when I went to the waiter, I, I was hoping just for singing and embarrassment, but what I received was so much better than, than what I expected. My friend's response, on the other hand, was a little disappointing. He didn't react at all. It was almost like he expected me to do something stupid. He must have been a really good friend. You know, and, and me, I, I was hoping to embarrass, I was hoping that maybe he'd get a little angry, because that's what good friends do, right? But instead, all I really did was hook him up with a free pie. Our lives are full of expectations, and these expectations can create excitement, but they can also create sorrow. Excitement when our expectations are exceeded, but sorrow when they fall short. See, what we know about Jonah is that expectations caused him a lot of heartache. Frustration because God didn't do what he wanted or what he expected. And all of this caused by his own confusion. 
confused about what really mattered, blinded from being able to see the bigger picture, blinded from being able to see God's plan, God's will. And if we're honest, we too have been like Jonah. We've been confused. We've asked questions like this. Why does God ask me not to do this? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Where is God? Why, Why is God asking me to go there? Why is this happening to me? What do we do when God doesn't do what we expect him to? What do we do when we don't understand what God is doing and why? What do we do when we're confused? I think that the logical thing is that we have to ask questions, but but what questions and who do we ask? Today, I, I think that it's it's vital to talk to God, to ask him questions, even more important, to listen to God, to, to read the answers that he's already given us in his word. But the account of Jonah reveals maybe a few questions that we ought to ask ourselves, maybe three questions that we should ask ourselves when we are confused. And this is the first one. If you have your outline and you want to follow along, you can fill in the blanks. But this is the first question that we ought to ask ourselves when we're confused. Is my current struggle a symptom of spiritual drift? Is my current struggle a symptom of spiritual drift? Now, I don't want you to think that I grew up wealthy, but I feel like this in my opinion, makes it seem like I did. Every now and then on special occasions, mom would buy toaster strudels. That's like the, like if you're poor, you buy Pop-Tarts. If you're rich, you get toaster strudels. I love toaster strudels, man. They're delicious. Until they start doing like weird stuff, they start shoving like eggs and bacon in them. I don't know what you're trying to do. Just strawberry is all good for me. You know what I'm saying? The only thing that I don't like about toaster strudels is that, in my humble opinion, I don't think they give you enough icing for the top. So you know what I did as a kid is I would take two packets of icing and I would use them on one toaster strudel. But here's the problem. Usually when I did that, that meant that one of my brothers had to eat a toaster strudel without any icing at all. And let's be honest, brother's not happy about that. So you know what my brother did to me? He decided before he went to bed, because he he was older, so he stayed up later. He took the brand new box of toaster strudels. He took my socks. He wet my socks. He wrapped my wet socks around the toaster strudel box and then put it in the freezer. So when I woke up next morning thinking, woo, I'm gonna have breakfast, I'm gonna have some toaster strudels, I pulled open the freezer and there is all my socks frozen to the box of toaster strudels. So that day I went to school with cold feet, an empty stomach, and new understanding. You know what this whole experience revealed to me? It revealed to me that my brothers were not very happy with me. A message that communicated that, you know what, (laughs) something's off here. And I think this is exactly what happens to Jonah. There's two things that happen in Jonah's life to me that serve as indicators that, guess what, something is wrong. The first is the storm that comes during his attempt to flee from God. 
which leads to him being eaten by a fish. But then later he's sitting on a hill miserably, roasting in the sun, waiting for the demise of Nineveh. God, in an effort to to teach him a lesson, causes a plant to grow and give him shade, but then he sends a worm to destroy this plant along with a scorching east wind. This is what Jonah 4, 8 says. When the sun rose, God appointed this scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And then he asked if he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so discouraged by the death of this plant and and the miserable heat that he wants to die. And the interesting thing to me is is that he never once questions why he's still there. God didn't ask him to stay. God didn't want him to die on that hill. And is it possible that God sends this scorching wind to encourage Jonah to leave, to help Jonah realize that if he's being cursed, maybe he's fighting against God's will? I want to clarify I'm proposing that that this is a question that we should ask ourselves. It's something that we should consider. Is there a chance that our storms at times are indications that maybe we are sailing in the wrong direction? But by, by, by no means am I trying to insinuate that all of our struggles are caused by our sin. It is possible that the opposition we face is demonic, And and to me, this is why this question matters so much, to think through this, because I don't believe that all our problems are the result of our own missteps, but I also think that we can't neglect the idea that God may be trying to tell us that we're in the wrong place. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2 says this. In the spring, at that time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out to the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed, walked around the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now, if you've grown up in church culture, you understand what happened David saw this woman whose name is Bathsheba. He he thought to himself, wow, this woman is beautiful. I have to have her as my wife, but there's only one problem. She's already married. But David is so struck in that he doesn't care. He invites her in. She gets pregnant. Oh no, what are we going to do? Then he commits murder. He, he, He murders the husband. It's like this this whole horrific scenario, and and, and all of this happens. Why? All of this happens because David is not where he's supposed to be. This scripture illuminates to us a very important truth. David should have been at war. He should have been with his army. And if he would have been, a lot of people are spared a lot of grief. And the death of his firstborn with Bathsheba is a painful indicator of this truth. Now let's do the hard work of turning this on ourselves. Where in your life have you experienced struggle because you've been in the wrong place? Where in your life have you walked through valleys because you've drifted away from God? To do, sometimes we've got to ask these questions so that we can figure out what what is it that causes us to drift? Why did David stay home? Was he tired? Did he just want a break? Why did Jonah stay on that hill? Was he clinging to this idea of what he thought should happen? 
Was it David's pride to believe that that wars are only fought on the battlefield? Can you relate to that? Have you ever let your guard down at the wrong time? Has your integrity been attacked when you thought nobody was looking? Was it Jonah's pride to think that he knew what was best? Can you relate? Have you ever put yourself in a bad spot because you thought you knew what to do, that you didn't need to consult God? What sin is tripping you up because you're not where you're supposed to be? Literally sinning because you cannot escape what's around you. Figuratively sinning because you've become disconnected from God. Mentally sinning because you leave your thoughts on a hill with no accountability. Spiritually lost because your God rhythms have been neglected or forgotten. What sin is tripping you up because you don't know how to rest? You don't know how to be bored. What sin is tripping you up because your connection with God has weakened? I would say that one of the biggest barriers in my relational pursuit with God is boredom. And maybe some of you are thinking, what? Pastor, how could you possibly be bored? As a husband and a father and a pastor and just a human being, like who has time to be bored? Let me introduce you to the idea that busyness creates boredom. A, a, a boredom that, is, that, that causes us to drift away from our purpose. See, we live in a chaotic world, a world that, that has created this up-tempo normalcy, and it hinders us from knowing what to do when we actually get a second to breathe. We become so accustomed to the fast pace that, that, that we, don't, we don't know what to do when it slows down. A boredom that causes us to seek continued stimulation that usually involves sin which generates restlessness and and prevents us from from being able to even rest when we have the time. Though our bodies are motionless, our minds continue to keep up that pace, which can lead us to seeking worldly means to bring peace to an internal problem. I want to read 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I know where my desires ultimately always lead me, quick thrills and steep prices. And it's often in the hindsight of these steep prices that reveals my poor choices. My question is, is there a way to avoid all that? Is there a way to avoid going to those wrong places? I think the answer is is Jesus. Shocker. A Savior calls me to take on his yoke because his burden is light. And if we do that, we we find what? What Scripture says we find rest. Rest in trusting that he will lead and guide us where we need to be. A, A faith that allows us to stop and take a deep breath even in a storm, knowing that God can use our missteps to get us exactly where we need to be. Can the road become uncomfortable? Certainly, but it doesn't need to be lonely. Faith, love, joy, and peace, guys, they're not from here. You might encounter their imposters, pride, lust, happiness, and relief, but all those are conditional and fleeting. And the moment you find yourself bored and the moment you find yourself drifting, train yourself to run to the Lord that you may find rest for your weary soul. What does that look like for you? How do you find rest? How do you slow down? How do you be still and know that he is God? Let's go to the next one. 
Another question we need to ask ourselves, if God's not moving, what am I missing? If God's not moving, what am I missing? If you spend any time around my son, Atlas, you might hear him say, Bill Bobe. Now, I understand how living in this town can make you think, well, Hebrews buy a lot of pizza. But if you happen to be looking at him while he's saying it, you'll notice something. He's lifting up his shirt and he's saying, Bill Bobe. <laughs> he's not talking about pizza. That's what he calls his belly button. So if you hear him running around saying, Bill Bobe, don't be confused. He just wants you to know that he too has a belly button. Maybe most of you will never hear him say that, but if you do, you'll, you'll understand. This is exactly what Jonah needed. Jonah needed understanding. He was confused. Not because he didn't know God, but because he couldn't see the whole picture. He didn't understand that, that God was not just calling him to reach the Ninevites, but God was using the Ninevites to reach him. And so he's sitting on a hill waiting for God to bring this destruction that was foretold, but it never happens, and it leads to frustration, and it leads to hopelessness. i got to be honest, it's, it's hard to throw Jonah under the bus by assuming that we would be different without being privy to the hindsight that we have now. Because if we're honest, we, we, don't, we don't always think logically in the heat of our struggles. But it's interesting to me that, that he doesn't appear to ever really contemplate his predicament. To wonder, af after this deadline has ended, well, why, did, why has God not done what he said he was going to do? And that instead of being stubborn by waiting for God to move the way that he wanted, to surrender to this idea that, that maybe he's missing something, maybe he's misunderstood. And to, to ask this question, if God's not moving, what, what am I missing? And is he trying to teach me something? See, but this is where Jonah missed it. God did intervene. He just didn't intervene in the way that he thought he should. Instead, God brought the destruction that he wanted to see to the people, to the plant that shaded him, which angered Jonah. <laughs> to which God asked, what right do you have to be angry about this? Did you help this plant grow? Did you do anything for this plant? No, you did nothing. So what is it to you if I destroy it? See, God is trying to get Jonah to realize that there's nothing wrong with the passion and the anger that he has for this plant. The, the problem is that it's misplaced. The passion that you had for, for this tree is great. It's just misguided. I want you to have that same passion for my children. See, Jonah missed that God had great love for Ninevites too. And I think that all of us could come up with countless examples in our lives where we sat in pain and frustration because of God's supposed lack of intervention. And we should have contemplated, if it was possible, that maybe we didn't have all the variables. Possible that maybe we lacked foresight and vision to understand God's entire plan. There's this incredible story in Scripture with Elisha and basically, there's a, an enemy, Aram, Aram, I don't know how you say it, whatever. 
And they're attacking the Israelites, and every time they set up this plan to attack the Israelites, it's like the Israelites know exactly what they're doing. And, and so much so that the king calls this meeting with all his officials, and he looks around and he says, okay, which one of you is for Israel? Which one of you is telling all our secrets? And one of, one of his men stands up and says, listen, king, you don't understand. The Israelites got this guy named Elisha, and God's telling him our plans. And so the king's like, are you for real? So he gets his entire army to go against one guy. <laughs> they start marching. They find out where Elisha, Elisha is, and they march against him. And one day Elisha wakes up, and his servant comes in. And he says, Elisha, we got a big problem. He said, there's an entire army here about to take you out. And Elisha's like, whatever, man, we're good. And the servant's like, what, what do you mean we're good? And I want to read, this is, this is where we pick it up in 2 Kings 6, 17 through 20. When the servant of the man got up and went out early the next morning, an army of, with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There are so many times in life where this hits a little bit too close to home, where it may not be an actual army, but we are surrounded and overwhelmed and, and are starting to become hopeless simply because we don't see God moving. But the foolish thing to do is just to assume that he's not there at all. Here we have an example of just one of those ways where, where God opens this, this guy's arm when fear, fear grips us because we can't see what God is up to and I think this is where the enemy works against us to make us feel that, that or, or, or to think that when we feel alone, that means that we actually are alone. I want to read 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts too will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So when I read verses like this, I think my mind always jumps to temptation, but temptation is only a part of it. To me, this is a deception within a deception to blind us from some of the other ways that the enemy works against us. Paul says here that his fear is that our thoughts would be led astray. A fear that we might begin to believe that we are alone. A fear that we might begin to believe that we aren't loved. A fear that we might begin to believe that there is no hope, that there is no redemption for us. A fear that we might begin to believe the enemy's greatest lie, that our eyes would be opened and we would be like God. Man, which can create doubt because we cannot fathom how God could be at work through the impossible or beyond our comprehension or understanding. To which God reminds us in Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight to yield and to trust his word even when we don't understand, even when it seems like all our efforts to follow God make everything worse. Guys, do you realize that if Satan can make you doubt God's way, he will throw everything that he can at you. Sometimes we read John 10.10 too literal. 
Not that Satan wouldn't revel in, in watching you die, but he wants to steal your joy, he wants to kill your reputation, and he wants to destroy your trust in Jesus. It's more than just your life. And instead of assuming that God is silent, I propose that the first question we ought to ask is, did I miss something? So much so that, that we're willing to, to pour over our situations with prayer, with reading and searching the word of God and supporting each other as the church. But ultimately, all of this leads to the final question we've got to ask ourselves. Are the answers I'm looking for found through faith? Are the answers I'm looking for found through faith? As hard as it is sometimes, we, we must accept that we don't really understand why. This doesn't mean that we won't always understand, but sometimes we, we don't receive the perspective that we need right away. Sometimes it takes years. I think that we make a mistake when we read the Bible sometimes. We, we read Moses' story and we forget that he was 40 when he left Egypt. He was 80 when, when he returned and it took almost an entire year to get the people out of Egypt. We, we can't read these conflicts like they were resolved as quickly as we read them. And, and I know that that is so hard in the Amazon culture we live in where everything is at our fingertips, but our lives work so much more like crockpots. It looks gross when you throw it all in, but eventually over time, it comes together. And sometimes it takes years before your children will feel that way. Faith often requires patience, not just trusting in a moment, but trusting in all moments, trusting that God is in control, trusting that he knows best and proving that through our obedience. In college, I, I dated a girl, and I really, I just thought, this is the one. And because I was thinking that way, I said probably a lot of things to her that I shouldn't. I talked about marriage a lot. And then slowly over time, I just kind of, I don't know, fell out of love with her. I don't really know how to describe it, to be honest with you. There was nothing wrong with her. She's sweet. She's beautiful. She's awesome. Still to this day, I, I had no issue with her, but for some reason, I don't know, it just, it just I, I guess I can only assume that God had different plans for me, and I'm pretty excited about those plans. I love you, sweetie. <laughs> and when I broke up with her, she read me the riot act. I mean, she was not happy about the whole situation. And I understand. I screwed up. I didn't protect her heart. Years later, I'm married. I'm living in Pennsylvania. I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. And I'm doing this series on relationships. And I'm trying to tell these kids about what it looks like to be in, you know, a quality relationship and, and to be in a godly relationship. And I just was so, so deeply convicted by the way that I acted in that relationship. And so I thought about what to do. And I eventually, I, I just... I reached out through email, and I just wrote this girl an email, and I said, listen, I, I just want to say I am so sorry. I didn't protect your heart. Um, I, I made a lot of poor choices, and, and all, all I did was hurt you, and, and I'm really sorry about that. But I, I also want to say thank you because you said some things to me that maybe I didn't want to hear in that moment, but I needed to hear. It's just interesting to me that this I, I have this whole experience where God 
just put this heavy on my heart. Well, fast forward uh, a couple of years later, and I'm interviewing at a church in Oklahoma City to, to move there to be their youth pastor. And I walk into this room to meet the board of elders, and this girl's father is on the board. <laughs> and I got super nervous. So I'm like, dude, I just, I broke this, this guy's daughter's heart. Like, I, I imagine how I would feel towards this. And so I, I, I didn't know how, I didn't know how it was going to work out. But there in that meeting, at some point, it, it, it came up and he just said, guys, I just want you to know that Will wrote my daughter a letter. It wasn't necessary, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary, but um, apologizing. And he said, I just think that it shows that this is a dude of character. Now, I don't know that I agree with him. I tried my best to do whatever I can. To, to me, I was just following uh, uh, something that, that the Holy Spirit led me towards. But it's just crazy to me that I did not understand completely why God was leading me to apologize to this girl at the time. But then years later, I'm like, uh <laughs> Okay, God, God is at work in this entire situation. Have you ever felt deep conviction to do something and, and you didn't really know why, but then after you did it, you were like, oh, okay, I see, I see why now. It was your obedience to the conviction of the Spirit that led to clarity. Your obedience that helped you discover that God is closer than you thought. I want to read Luke 5, 12 through 14. While he was still in one of the cities, Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touching him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof for them. Jesus heals this man, asked him to say nothing but to go to the priest and to be declared clean. Why? Maybe we don't understand nowadays why God asked him to do this but I think this verse is beautiful because it shows us that there are two parts to faith. Believing enough to ask Jesus to heal us and then to follow that through and do what he asks us to do. For this man, it wasn't just about physical healing. It was about restoring his life with his community. Lepers were people who were not allowed to go into town. They weren't allowed to touch anybody. If this guy doesn't listen to Jesus, who knows how his life turns out. He needed to be declared clean so that he can move forward with his life. Today, I want to say, man, you've, you've made it to church, a place of worship, a place of belief. And I think that that probably means that, that you're more than likely, you got that first part of faith down that, that you believe. But what about the other part? God calls us to be doers of the word. It's not the word itself that changes us, but it's our adherence to it that saves us. Don't hear me wrong. It doesn't save us from death and Hades. Only grace does that. But it saves us from ourselves it saves us from grief. It saves us from corruption. Does that mean that you won't struggle? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but it does place you on the winning side. See, we have two choices in this life. We can serve the Lord or we can serve the world and its ruler. 
And no matter what side you're on, you're going to experience tension from the war that wages between those two sides. Scripture tells us there's a way that seems right to man, but it only leads to death. Whereas Jesus reminds us that he is the way, the truth, and the light. That he is the only path to the Father. So the hard part about this is that this war that's waged for our souls, it isn't always so obvious which is why it's so important that we cling to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we are a people that do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. For we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. To, to walk in faith, trusting that, that God cares about us deeply and that when he asks us to do something or he asks us not to do something, that it's coming from a place of love. It comes from an all-knowing father who wants to connect us to our purpose. And through our faith and obedience, God will eventually clarify the why. Maybe it seems foolish to be generous. Maybe it seems uh, foolish to be abstinent before marriage. Maybe it seems foolish to pray for our enemies. Maybe it seems foolish to read this, this ancient book of supposed wisdom. But don't forget that we serve a God who chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise which is a reminder of the verse we talked earlier about why we never lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. Why? So that our path could be made straight. And can't you see how important it is that when our path is made straight, it's easier to see the bigger picture. It's easier to see where God is leading us. It's easier to see that, that he's trying to look after us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us in a moment. I don't know if anybody else in this building today can, can maybe relate to what I'm about to tell you. But middle school and high school do not carry a ton of fond memories for me. I don't know that I can look back and say, mm, those were the days. There's a lot of things that happened to me, I think, in those times where I'm like, why? I lost friendships. I didn't really understand why. There's a lot of things about me that I hated and it caused me to act and live in a certain way. I think at the time that there was a lot of instances where I became pretty frustrated with God. But it's crazy because now, almost 20 years later, I'm able to look back and I can see the hand of God working in my life. Oh, that's why this happened. Oh my gosh, I'm so thankful that this happened. I'm so thankful that God led me here. I'm so thankful that these struggles trained me for what was ahead. It, it, it's mind blowing. At the base level, we've got to trust that when God gave us his word, that it wasn't like a supreme being asserting his authority. I'm God and I created you and you better do what I told you to do. No. This is a father who loves his children and says, hey, I don't know that I would do that because I see where it leads. A God who 
understands what our sin does to us and it breaks his heart. He says, please don't do that. I know where it leads. I know that we're never going to be perfect. I know that we don't always listen to God. But to me, it's days like this that are a reminder of how important it is to follow him, to listen to his instruction, to not just come and hear it, but to read it for ourselves and to try to apply it to our lives, understanding and believing that even when it doesn't make sense, this is what's best. I don't know where you are today, but I, I just hope that you don't miss out on an opportunity if God is leading you to respond in a way, whether you pray where you are or at the altars, if you want somebody to pray with you or if you just want to deal with something on your own, don't miss out on an opportunity to meet with God today.